Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week covering your choice, and uh, a great choice it was, the debut album from Master Plan, going back to January of 2003. Before we get there, uh, Chris, how are you, bud? How you doing? This has been a very excellent week, I will say. <laughs> To, to say the least, to say the least, some surprises in store. Um, did you listen to anything uh, that caught your ear by any chance? Uh, yes, I listened to this album called Master Plan by Master Plan. <laughs> and, um, did you was, like it? It was pretty good. Um, actually, um, we uh, we plan on doing a um, another one of our like year in review episodes like we did last year. And I came to realize that I am painfully behind on my 2021 releases. So I kind of went back into the, uh, the archives, if you will, and was trying to catch up on some of the stuff that I hadn't really listened to yet. And I still have a lot to go, but, um, on your recommendation, I uh, got to listen to the um, the new Temple Balls album, uh, Pyramid, um, the uh, Crown album, which I really enjoyed, uh, Kings of the North, Kings in the North, I should say, as well as um, Neon Fly, The Future Tonight, and Pentakill's Three Lost Chapter, which uh, actually features uh, vocals by Yorn Land, who we will discuss today, um, as well as uh, Nora from Battle Beast and... Um, it was it was just a very uh, melodic power metal kind of uh, kind of week for me um, with these bands and Master Plan and um, yeah so that's kind of oh and uh, and I also listened to um, D- uh, Demotional and Vicious Head Society as well which were uh, uh, two albums you had recommended so um, just trying to get myself uh, get myself ready because um, there's been a lot of good releases and and I probably haven't even listened to most of them yet and and there's um albums yet to come this year um uh, including uh beast in black and ad infinitum which i'm or two of my uh most anticipated releases well you got about two months to catch up so uh all hope is not lost um I look forward to that episode because we have a chance to really kind of dive in deep on stuff that we may have either touched or glossed over or in some cases mentioning for the first time. So I I definitely look forward to that. I'll just add two that I heard this week that were really kind of noteworthy. Um, The first of which is kind of ironic. Terra Maze, Australia's... uh, You know, one one of the better prog metal bands out of Australia released their second album of the year. It's called And the Beauty They Perceive. And I honestly think it might have been their best release to date. They are cranking out music fast and furiously. Um, But kudos to them because this was a really, really solid album for people who enjoy melodic prog. And something else in the same vein is an EP by a band called Novena. They are from the UK and they kind of feature Ross Jennings who shares... Uh, vocal duties um, on the album, along with Gareth Mason, uh, who some people may know from a band called Slice the Cake. I got to be honest with you, this is was an EP. Uh, it, the first song and the title track is called The Stopped Clock. It was kind of an epic track at about 10 minutes. And there's also a Billie Eilish cover in, on here as well. Um, I got to be honest, these guys are great. And, and I kind of wonder what could be if they spent more time on it but obviously with Haken being so successful I don't know that that will ever happen but we actually had people reach out to us uh shout out to Nops who actually said you know check this out fantastic EP just really well done this this band has a bright future yeah Nops had um brought them to my attention um 
a while back, and, and I think I've picked up a couple of songs here and there. Um, haven't heard the EP, but I do echo your sentiments about Teremis. I got a chance to listen to that album, and um, really good stuff. I, and I always enjoy Teremis, but I thought this was especially especially good. Uh, Dean Wells, um, I think I've, I'm uh, friends with him on Facebook, and he seems to pride himself on the um, the quickness in which he gets these things released and it's impressive that um there's such high quality considering um you know uh, they had they released an ep earlier in the year like you mentioned which had like a 25 or so minute song uh sorella minore and then uh following it up and they they released a full-length album last year um granted it was at the very beginning of the year um no, I'm sorry. That was in October of last year. They released "I Wonder," and um, and then and then just about almost to the day a year later, they released another full length album. And the beauty they perceive, like you mentioned, and um, if you're into uh, prog metal, this is good stuff. It's it's got a little bit more of that melodic style that I like. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I think it's uh, maybe making an appearance in my top twenty five list, but we'll see. Nice. Um, and speaking of the melodic side of things, let's talk about Master Plan's debut. Um, do you remember, like, hearing about this, or like, did it kind of? Because my my first memory is just the "Enlighten Me" single, which obviously came out before the album. I don't have a, a strong recollection of how I first heard about them. I just remember hearing that track and being absolutely blown away. Uh, because obviously two of my favorite songwriters were in the band, uh, but and obviously I was a big fan of of Jornland's vocals um, from two releases in particular that he had come out with to that point, namely the Beyond Twilight album that he had appeared on, as well as uh, Ark's Burn the Sun, two of my favorite albums of all time. So this was kind of like a supergroup before supergroups were all the rage. When did you first hear about these guys? Well... Um, I can't remember if I had ever mentioned this on the show before. I probably have. I just don't remember. But um, I used to have a uh, a fan site for Halloween called uh, Future World that I um, it was actually started by Chris Scarrod, um, who I believe was the first ever Halloween website. Um, and he uh, he brought me on. I had my own fan site, and he brought me on to kind of like be the webmaster because uh, he just didn't really have the time to run it. So we were kind of like co uh, webmasters. And at the time, you know, before social media, um, I used to try to post as much news as possible on the site. And one of the news things was that uh, Roland Grappo and Uli Kush from Halloween were going to do a, the side project. Um, you know, I guess they had some, uh, free time to write some songs and um and the 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 plan was that it was going to be uh roland on guitar uli on drums obviously and then they would have russell allen from symphony x as the vocalist uh yanni Worman from uh children of bodom as their keyboard player um trying to remember if they had a, a bass player announced it doesn't ring a bell to me um in fact, I don't really know that. I think that Roland plays the bass on this album, um, and uh, the bass player would end up being um, Jan Eckert, and then uh, a few years later, he would be replaced by um, Yari Kanalainen from Stradivarius fame. 
Um, so yeah, like you hear this lineup. Um, I mean, Yanni Weirman is like an unbelievable keyboard player and his, there's a, a, a magic touch that he has that you hear on those children of Borum albums where it's almost like he's channeling the, the Stradivariuses and the Sonata Articas of the world um, into more of a, a, a melodic death metal band. It's a really, uh, we, we covered one of their albums um, when Alexi Laiho passed away um, last year. Um, but Yanni's the other guy from children of Borum that I think most people have heard of. He also had a side band called war men, where um, he did, it was kind of a side project of his, did a lot of cool covers and stuff. So that was cool. And, you know, Russell Allen kind of, you know, speaks for himself. So that was, I was excited to hear, you know, what they were going to do because I was always a big fan of Roland's two solo albums, uh, Four Seasons of Life and Kaleidoscope, especially Kaleidoscope. I thought that was such an excellent album with songs that were done in a totally different style than what Halloween was doing or what Roland was writing for Halloween. It was more of like a, almost like a melodic rock album with a little bit of neoclassical guitar element to it. Had um, Mike Vessera on vocals who did a couple albums with uh, Ingve in the mid nineties. Um, so yeah, I was, I was excited to see, I, I, I always considered Roland and Uli to be such strong songwriters within Halloween. So um Basically, what I had heard was that, you know, through shortly after this was announced, um, they were unceremoniously, you know, let go by the band. Uh, There wasn't really a ton of, um, you know, info about what exactly went on. And thanks to there not being social media at the time, we didn't really know. We just had heard that they were let go. And um, and then it started to kind of trickle out that this master of the world it wasn't didn't even have a name yet i remember uh, there was talk that they were going to be called ride the sky initially um which i think which i'm kind of glad they didn't go with because i feel like it would have been kind of uh, like trying to piggyback on halloween's success which i don't think based on this album they really needed to do um but then it turned into um you know, then Master Plan, the name came out, and then um, Russell Allen bowed out because he didn't want to leave Symphony X, and this was going to become like a full-time band, and you know, they said Jorn Land would come in and be the singer, and um, so I kind of was following the, the news as it, as it went on, and so when that Enlightened Me single got dropped, I was pretty well um, aware of the situation, and I was excited to hear it, and, and just like you said, man, I was like, oh boy. Here we go. And and funnily enough, it's not really in my top echelon of songs on this album. And yeah. That, and, <laughs> which... uh, uh, it's fun. You know, I think that you either have a better memory or just maybe or I just on the made cu- all that up. <laughs> or, like, yeah, or, or on the cutting edge of, of what they were doing before I was because I don't remember anything except for hearing the single and just being blown away. And in retrospect, as much as I loved it at the time, and it's a great song. Going back, I found myself enjoying different songs that I kind of liked a lot more than I heard the first time I heard the album. But I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, it was, it was, it was just a, uh, it was just like a wall of melodic power metal, and I was like, this has real potential here. I mean, like you heard it, and and this was on the heels of the Dark Ride, which I thought was a very, very underrated Halloween album. And obviously that coming after Better Than Raw, which I would argue is probably the best Halloween album um, 
up there with the new one and obviously the Keeper stuff. I thought it was the best Darius album. It was the most complete package, if you will. Um, so this was just a complete surprise. And, and to your point, you know, Russell never made it over with the band, but then they get Yorn Land, who, um, you know, what can you say about him? Just a, 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 a vocalist aficionado over the, you just so, so powerful and such an unmistakable sound. Uh, like I said, a super group, uh, before there were a ton of super groups back in 2003 when, when it was released. No. And, and I mean, I was, I didn't know, I didn't really think I knew anything by Yorn. I mean, you probably were aware of him from Ark, but I, I don't think I had heard Ark up until that point. So, um, he, this was like my first time hearing Yorn Land, and, and, you know, I was definitely impressed. So I thought this was a good choice for their single. They made a music video for it, which I remember putting on, uh, like one of the very first power hours I ever made in college. Um, I remember using that video and, and, um, I remember seeing, uh, if I'm remembering correct, I think I remember seeing Uli with the, the short hair for the first time and, um, but it definitely was a, a promising start, and it's funny because I feel like it um, it kind of underdelivered compared to the rest of the album. Yeah, I, I was blown away, and and maybe that's just where I was at the time. But I absolutely loved it um, from, from Jump Street. And when I grabbed the album, I remember pre-ordering the album. It was shipped to my house. I was so thrilled to get my hands on it. And I actually remember that first listen just because I played the whole thing straight through. And from the first notes of the album, you could tell that something special was brewing. Um, it was like that. It was like, I don't know, all these ideas that I guess Roland and Uli had, and they were really the song, you know, the main songwriters on this, all those ideas were percolating and they just seemed to come out in the best form possible. And maybe that's, a testament to the producers they were working with or just the ideas that were kind of simmering at the time. Um, but the the finished product is an album that I would put up against anything that is put out today. That's how impressive this release was. And it holds up. Um, I, when I was first hearing it, we'll obviously do a deeper dive into some of the songs, but I, I remember thinking that the first half of the album was so good and so tight, you know, back in 2003. And I, and I still believe that. But as I go back and I listen to it a bunch this week, I actually think I enjoyed the second half of the album even more than the first half, which I guess is a testament to the strength of, of just like the material here. And they, there are influences abound, right? And we'll get into that. But um, even though they are obviously pulling in from a lot of different directions, the sound is unmistakable. And it was a sound that would carry over through the rest of their albums, except that this was kind of like... They came out guns blazing and hit their high watermark right away. Agreed. It's almost as if they had some of these songs in their back pocket that they knew wasn't going to fit with Halloween style. Um, and so I think that they had a lot of a lot of good stuff to choose from to just come out. Um, I, 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 I agree with you. Like I, I gravitated towards the first half when I was younger and I first heard the album, but I've just come to realize that the whole album from start to finish is so consistently strong that like, it really doesn't even, I feel like there's not even a lull. Like it, it's, it's really impressive what, and I don't even know. I feel like I'm, I like this album even more now than I did in the first place. And I really liked it in the first place, but I'm so glad that we got to revisit it because I'm just reminded at, 
what a big deal this was and, and just how good it was. It's just such a fantastic album. And I think I had said to you earlier in the week, the the songwriting of Uli and Roland combined with the vocals of Jorn Land was just this magical thing. And I don't know that there really was anything that sounded like that um, at that time. And, and I remember um, Halloween's uh, Rabbit Don't Come Easy album coming out that same year. And, the you know, of course, you're going to compare the two. But most of the things that I read, people preferred the Master Plan album over the Halloween album, myself included. And I'm sure you would probably agree. Yeah, I, I would agree. Rabbit Don't Come Easy was kind of a polarizing album for me and maybe one day we'll do a deep dive on that but the reality is I thought it had some very good songs but I didn't think that it had the um, top to bottom I didn't think it was the most consistent release and again I love the dark ride I know that the band kind of was going through some changes obviously and it was a different darker direction for them Um, the dark ride was closer to better than raw then Rabbit Don't Come Easy was to the dark ride in terms of just consistency and quality of the songs. So it was a letdown in many ways, despite the fact that it had some great tunes. Whereas this, there was no letdown. And and to your point, as much as I enjoyed that first half of the album, and I would have put that up against anything that I was listening to in 2003, I enjoyed the second half of the album then. I just think that the first half was better when I was younger because I was such a power metal fan. But now, I, I think the second half, I would put it up with the first half in the sense that it, there is no letdown on any of these tracks. So much so that I think we, I think it's even worth talking about the bonus tracks. There's no letdown with the bonus tracks. That's how good this album is from top to bottom. And I guess with that, let's just kind of jump into it. It opens with Spirit Never Dies, which was well-placed. It immediately hit you right away this this kind of like keyboard intro if you will and then it just goes into one of the finest melodic power metal songs you'll find i love this song um it's <laughs> it's such a it's just such a great way to just kick things off like here we are we're master plan and um this is yeah it's 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 just a, a fast-paced like really just a really really good song um i i like how it kind of starts out a little bit slower, like a little quiet. And then it's just like, there we go. Um, I think that uh, this was yeah a good choice for the first track. And, and it remains one of my, um, one of my favorite songs by uh, master plan for sure. I, I think that a couple of things here that really make it magical. And that's, there were like subtle time changes where they'll kind of speed it up and slow it down. And then they, you almost feel like you're going on a ride. No pun intended. I love it. And Uli's drumming on this track. He is a beast. And it sounds like he's got eight arms like an octopus because of some of these fills. It's fantastic. And, and, and I think what makes the album special is that really every song has one or two things that make the song stand out as compared to say other melodic power metal bands here, obviously it was the drumming and the changes of the time signature, but I think I'm going to kind of make a point of pointing those things out on every track, because at least to me, that's what makes this special. We go into obviously enlighten me. The second track, not a let up 
the song itself is a little bit slow, but I think that the chorus is just a perfect chorus. And and you want to talk about special? This is a song where Jordan really saw, like kind of shines. Some of the notes that he holds after each chorus is remarkable. Just how incredible he is at like his his diction and the way he holds some of these notes. I think he really shines on this track. I agree, it's probably not the best track on the album, but he he puts this over the top. Yeah, he's good at whispering too. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is, I mean, this is kind of, um, this is one of those songs that has kind of a gallop to it. It's like a, a like a mid-tempo song. Um, the chorus is awesome, um, and, and it really does uh, showcase y- Yorn's vocals, although really, I mean, the whole album is, is such a great showcase, and uh, it's, it's worth mentioning, I didn't realize it until earlier today that this album is going to be 20 years old in uh, in. Uh, 2023 um which is crazy to me because the album sounds so good like uh production wise it's so crisp it sounds like it was i mean there's bands that are releasing albums that are brand new I'm not going to name names but that iron maiden <laughs> well there you go um, and they've got all the money are, in the world i mean it's, so it's 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 remarkable what they were able to do on what i can only assume was a somewhat limited budget and yet 20 years later Bands can't perfect the sound. And I'll tell you another thing, too. I mean, going back to the comparison of Halloween, the Dark Ride, for for as good of an album as it is, to me, it's very uneven, not in terms of quality, but in terms of it's almost like the the kind of the happy Halloween that Wikey wanted to write versus the darker Halloween that Roland and Uli wanted to write, and then Andy kind of somewhere in the middle – made it feel like it was almost like this battle. Um, because if you listen to a song like Salvation that Wikey wrote, which is just very, kind of has a very uplifting sound to it versus a song Roland wrote like Escalation 666, <laughs> which is one of the darkest Halloween songs of all time. Um, it just felt like the album wasn't, um, it, it didn't flow that well, even though the songs themselves are all really good. Whereas this album has such a flow to it because I think it's, you know, a band with a united front and they're coming in there and, and, and you know, Roland and Uli did the majority of the songwriting together. So I think that they had a plan as to what they wanted to do and they didn't have um, other like large personalities kind of, um, you know, because, you know, what Wike, you know, Halloween is Wikey's band. So if Wikey wants the band to sound a certain way that's you know him and andy pretty much run the band i i I don't know how it is now but at the time that's probably how it was so um if they felt like roland and uli were kind of pushing them to go in a direction they didn't want to go well they let them go and kept doing what they wanted to do and it i think it took halloween a lot longer than master plan to find their you know sound again because you know the the sasha era of Halloween, like, you know, Sasha became such a fantastic songwriter, but it wasn't, it didn't hit right away. Like, you know, like we said, like rabbit don't come easy was not a home run. Um, it was a band trying to kind of refine their, their mojo after like, you know, again, better than raw, probably my all time favorite Halloween album. Um, it, it would be a while before I think they had an album that was comparable to that one. Um, Whereas Master Plan just comes out and uh, just knocks it out of the park, and and I'll just I'll, I'll be uh, 
Well, do, uh, do you have anything else to say about Enlighten Me before we go on to Kind-Hearted Light? No, I'll just comment on one thing you said, which was, I don't think Halloween ever captured the magic like this. In other words, I, I love the new album. It will be, spoiler, it's going to be in my top five albums of the year. There's no question about that. I, I, I got so much joy out of that album. But from Better Than Raw and then The Dark Ride, which was a step down as good as it was, I don't think they ever hit it like they hit, like this album hit it. There were great songs. There were great sections of, of, but it it wasn't just one powerhouse after the other. I think that if you took the best 75 minutes worth of Halloween music after the dark ride, I think that this album by Master Plan might still be better than that. Lots of albums, lots of good songs. I will always be a Halloween fan till the day I die. But the reality is, this album blows, I think, most of the stuff that Halloween did after the year 2000 out of the water. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fair. I, I don't know if I would agree 100%. Um, I actually really enjoyed um, My God-Given Right. I thought that was the best. I thought that was the best post-Roland and Uli Halloween album, um, not counting the most recent one. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this album also has 20 years of, of love on its side too. So no I mean, question time will tell, but yeah, I mean, this, this album was that good that what, you know, it, it's, it's hard to argue with what you just said. And, and, and it's funny because I, you know, I, I've talked about Yorn. I've talked about Uli's drumming. Kind hearted light is, is your, um, this is your keyboards right here. And, and the funny thing is not the most complex intro, but damn, if that's not like just the best way to start a song. I mean, you want something melodic. The, the start of Kind Hearted Light with the keys just before the band joins in, it puts a smile on my face every single time. And I, and I love how fast it starts out and then kind of slows down during the verses. This song still holds up. And and what's funny is when I when I hear the guitar solo towards the end, I'm actually brought back to Better Than Raw because it's clear that it's Roland playing that guitar solo, and it puts me right back to 1997 when I when I first heard Better Than Raw. Yeah, Roland's guitar has such a distinct sound, and I remember I remember getting the Halloween High Live album and just being able to, if you listen to it on headphones, you actually hear Roland in one ear and Wikey in the other, which is very cool. But I just thought that the dichotomy between their two tones of their guitars made it very easy to tell who was who, which I really liked. Um, and you're right, like this, that solo, it's just, it's it's all, Roland all day long. And I think that he really got to, you know, play play the solo. Like he gets to play all the solos. Like it, it's, it's his, this is his baby now. Um, the, in, the key intro on this is just hooks you right in. Like you hear that and you're just like, yeah, I'm in. Um, I, I there I also I didn't mention it at the beginning of Enlighten Me too. It, it's more like chord progression keys, but um, instead of a solo. But um, that's another thing too. I feel like Master Plan, the fact that they have an actual in you know keyboardist that they recognize with by telling people his name and not hiding him <laughs> behind the stage somewhere. Um, I think that that kind of gives them a different element too than Halloween. And as I always say, I'm always more drawn to, to bands that are, are more like, you know, with more keyboards. Um, I mean, I remember seeing Sabaton live with a live onstage keyboard player. And I still think that was the best 
I've ever seen Sabaton play. Um, 100% agree. Because there's just something about, and Steve Williams would agree, there's something about having your keyboard player on stage playing for real. Um, and so, you know, you know, starting with uh, Yanni, who my understanding is didn't have a lot to do on this album and would... Um, uh, Axel um, McEnroe would um, come in and, and be the the he'd be the keyboard player for Master Plan until this day. Um, but uh, if Yanni wrote that little intro to kick in the song, then um, boy, like he left a, his his thumbprint on this on this album because um, uh, it, it kicks off the song and the rest of the song is just phenomenal. Um, it's my song of the week. It's one of my favorite songs ever. always just makes me happy when I hear it. It, it, This is definitely a pick me up. If you're feeling cruddy, um, put this song on. It's just, and, and Yorn is just on point. I mean, this is, (laughs) this is such a good song. It's incredible. We're, we've only talked about three songs. I, I know. And, and, and quite frankly, I guess if it was 2003, I think that this would have been my song of the week as well. Um, I love it. I just absolutely love it. But uh, we get to Crystal Night, which, 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 quite frankly, after those three kind of upbeat bangers, it, it, you, it was time for something a little bit slower. But they didn't, they didn't go ballad here. <laughs> they went slow and they went heavy. I love the opening riff. This is probably the most underrated song on the album, and I'm not sure that I appreciated it as much as I probably should have <laughs> back in the day. Um, the there's something special about this track and and specifically after about like the 430 mark towards the end of the song you have this kind of slow riff driven song and then it just starts picking up with Uli's drums uh a phenomenal live track and and I think that I probably enjoyed this more than any other track this time around if not it's in the top 2 or 3 for sure um, I love this song. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more mid-tempo, but it's so heavy. Um, the chorus is really good. Um, and it's not subtle lyrically. <laughs> I mean, this is a song that is clearly about Nazi Germany. Um, and, and I mean, it, you know, if, you, if you're um, familiar with history, um, you know, Kristallnacht was the, the name for the Holocaust. So that's where Crystal Knight comes from. And I mean, the, um, the lyrics are, are pretty clear that it, it's just about, um, you know, it's not promoting Nazi Germany at all. It's actually condemning it. Um, and I thought it was pretty ballsy for a, a German band to release a song because a lot of times, um, at least in my understanding is that like in Germany, they kind of just don't want, any of that mentioned really like it's kind of like you know what it's not a proud part of our history let's just sweep it under the rug and um so i i really thought it was pretty ballsy i don't know if if yorn was the one who came up with the the lyrics for this i'm not really sure but um i i always my ears always perk up when i've listened to the and i'm not a lyrics guy but this song was very loud and clear to me what it was about and um i think that adds to the to the draw of the song. Yeah. I, well said. Um, well said. I, I actually have nothing more to add for, for a change. I, I think <laughs> you summed it up exceptionally well. What do you think about Soulburn? Oh my, this is another one of my favorite songs on the, the album. Um, it kind of, it comes in with like this dissonant piano kind of sound. Um, and then it just, again, this is like another one of those songs that kind of, builds slowly it's like a a slow burn for soul burn if you will. <laughs> um it, this is uh i think this is the longest track on the album but um this is one of another one of my favorite um it's just again like one one smash hit after the other but um this is i think i had mentioned it um if not last week but the week before but talking about um the pixies and how they they kind of mastered that style of um, doing something real quiet and then, and then just out of nowhere, um, like doing something really loud. And, and this song is kind of in that vein, I feel like. Um, but, uh, again, another song where the, the chorus is so catchy. Like it, it this is, uh, another, another real banger. From I, I, I I'll Club. tell you this, and I'm not sure that you're aware of this. When I first kind of engrossed myself in this album, this was the one song, for whatever reason, I had difficulty getting into. And I'm not sure why. It's certainly right up my alley. But for some reason, it never clicked. I was at Prague Power, which we've obviously talked about. And it was September of 2006. And Jorn Land is headlining one of the nights at Prague Power. I'm not even sure if you're aware of this story. He does kind of like a career retrospective. He does a bunch of covers he does a Beyond Twilight song, which I nearly lost my I, – I was like marking out like you wouldn't believe just because I was such a big fan of that album. Right after he finishes Godless and Wicked by Beyond Twilight, which if you've never heard that song, stop what you're doing, push pause on the podcast, and go listen to Godless and Wicked. We he, he All of a sudden, he goes into Soul Burn by Master Plan. I was hoping that he was going to do a Master Plan track. I was hoping he was going to do anything else off of this album, but he plays Soulburn, and I fell in love with the song. And hearing it live with him singing it, albeit with a bunch of different musicians, was phenomenal. 
And I never forgot that performance because I was hoping for something else. And that's what we got. And since then, it's been one of my favorite tracks on the album. It clicked with that live performance. And I will never forget that show. Um, It it, it is, uh, how do I explain it? It is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, another heavy track. And I think that the keys here also, again, stand out because of that kind of dark ambiance that kind of permeate the entire song. Phenomenal track. And I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I cannot stress enough how good this album is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was aware of that, uh, that he played the song at Prague power, if only because um, he released that whole set as an out al- as a live album. Um, I think it was from that show, but um, he does have a live album uh, live in the U. It probably is from that show. Cause it's called live in the USA. So uh, I, yeah, I did. I did know that. And that's pretty cool. I wish I had seen that. Um, but yeah. Um, and again, like you can really hear, um, those keyboard parts in, you know, throughout the song, again, kind of setting them a- apart from Halloween by being a little bit more of a keyboard heavy band. Um, and I think, I think that might be one of the biggest things that sets master plan apart from what Halloween was doing up until that point is that there's more just focus on piano and, and keyboard parts. And it's definitely, uh, apparent in, in this song. And a plus, in my opinion, for sure. Um, the next track is Heroes, which is kind of the antithesis of Soul Burn. We go from the longest track on the album to the shortest. And uh, not only is it short, kind of simple in nature. I don't think there's anything too complex here. It's obviously a much faster tune, very power metal heavy, uh, but, but just catchy and fun and a feel-good song. And as much as I love Yorn, this is the Michael Kisk show in the sense that it's the first time you get to hear them together. You know, they weren't recording or or touring with Aventasia at this point. Here they are on the same track. And I was blown away by this because we, again, going back to this time, his solo albums were not heavy. This was probably the heaviest thing he did other than the Gamma Ray tracks since Keeper 2. Yeah. And Aventasia. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a time where like, anytime you heard Kisk on a metal song, you lose your mind because it was so infrequent. Um, and it was, and, uh, it was cool that they, I always kind of looked at it as kind of like a, an FU to Halloween too, that, um, we're going to, you know, cause obviously Kisk wasn't getting along with Halloween at the time. So it was kind of like the same way Gamma Ray did it, um, that was like master plan wanted to jump in on there too and just be like oh look who we got i always thought Um, the same thing i I, like to me this is such a fun like power just a fun power metal song and um it's funny it makes i i think of um i think of pelike when i hear it because he does a really fun uh, cover of this um but yeah, like I mean, no, as good as Pelike is, nobody holds a candle to Yorn and, and Kiss together. And I, this is just a, a sweet, short and sweet little, little power metal fun, fun song. Um, I, I, I like it. I think it's like you said, it's a nice, um, a nice pick me up after uh, Crystal Knight and Soulburn, which are like really, I think, kind of almost like like these heavy, almost kind of emotional feeling songs. Um, this one's a little bit lighter, a lot lighter, really. Totally agree. And and to me, this is kind of like the midway point in the album once that song ends. 
And now we go into like what I call the second half of the album with Sail On, another faster tune that's kind of a bit buried um, in the second half of the album. Uli's drumming definitely sets the pace here during the choruses. An underrated track for sure. Um, and I love the bridge. There's a bridge about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the song, which almost makes it feel like a different song altogether, almost like a prog metal band type of thing going on. But this is just a feel-good song with another positive message. And one thing I never noticed was the awesome backing vocals underneath Yorn. I listened to it with headphones for probably the first time in forever. The layered vocals here uh, really stand out to me. The, you know, it's funny. I When I heard the beginning of the song, I was waiting for Kisk to come in because it remi- for a second or maybe even two seconds, I thought it was an Avantasia song. Huh. Um, and I, I just wanted, I, I, I wanted this, um, oh, what is it? Oh, I think it was, is it breaking away? It could be. Yeah. Um, it just kind of reminded me of, of the way that that song started. Um, so what, for whatever reason, even though Kiss was on the song prior to it, I was kind of like waiting for his voice to come in and I was like, oh wait, oh wait, that's Yorn again. Um, yeah, this is another really good song too, and definitely a bit lighter, like Heroes was. Um, you could definitely feel like the album's kind of taking on this wave so far. Like, you know, the first three tracks are, are, are pretty, pretty uplifting. Then you have two songs that are kind of a, a little bit deeper and more con- contemplative, and then now we have two more songs that are a little bit more upbeat, a little bit faster paced. Um, I like. Uh, how there's like a cool drum solo that starts out the song. I, I like that. That's how the song kind of kicks in. Um, and, and the guitar solo is very, um, very Halloween to me. Like I, I get that kind of like that kind of chugging uh, rhythm guitar that uh, Roland probably did a million times in Halloween. I got a little bit of that. And again, you can hear the keys kind of, um, leading the way in the background. Um, I don't think I ever realized like how key heavy this, this album was until I, I listened to it much, you know, years later. Um, but yeah, this is another really, really good song. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. They're all really good. <laughs> uh, no argument here. Into the light. The next track is one of two, what I would call like Zeppelin tracks on the album. Starts with an acoustic guitar, which is kind of a nice touch. And this is like your first real power ballad on the album. Maybe a little bit heavier than a power ballad, um, but a, a, another good track. One that I don't know that they've ever played live, but kind of, a, a, again, like a Zeppelinish power ballad to me. I like that um, that it, it starts out kind of quietly um, because you can really hear Yorn's voice. Like it's just this acoustic guitar and Yorn, which you really haven't gotten much of at all if at all, up until this point. So it's kind of like, you know, just a reminder that Yorn sounds pretty good even when there's not electric guitars <laughs> and, and drums uh, pounding in the background. Uh, I'll say. But then it just, um, it, it you know, it just picks up and it's like this, um, almost like a celebratory kind of feel to it. Um, uh, <laughs> this is another awesome song. Shocking, right? Um, I, I like... I like that it's it's um, a, of a different pace. I agree it's not exactly a power ballad, but it is the kind of the mellowest song up until this point. Um, For sure. But it does kind of have like an anthemic kind of chorus to it. Um, 
Good, yeah, good stuff. Like this one a lot. And then we move into another kind of upbeat tune uh, called "Crawling from Hell," aptly named, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> this is another power metal track. Amazing dual vocal lines here with like some slower choruses. Um, a very dark song in, in certain ways and kind of reminds me of, of something that could have been easily on the dark ride. I wonder if this song was kind of written for Halloween and just used on this album because with the orchestration and the way that kind of uh, Roland's guitar solo is, is, is constructed, I just hear I hear dark ride Halloween on this through and through. This I think this is one of those songs that it might have just kind of like fallen in the crack in between the cracks for me years ago. Um, this one kind of took me by surprise as to how much I really liked it this time around. Um, just the way that it starts. I love the beginning of the song where it just, it's like 20 seconds into the song and there's a friggin' guitar solo. Like it's, it really just gets cracking right away. Um, it, it's, it's uh i think that the the chorus itself is not the greatest because it's kind of just like screaming monsters and demons crawling from hell whatever (laughs) but i mean whatever like the the rest of the song is fantastic and um really catchy i I forgot about this one the the, also the the keys in this are are really really good at the beginning with the, the guitars and the keys together really um really play off of each other really well um yeah, another really good song. Then we go to like this Middle Eastern type introduction to Bleeding Eyes. Uh, and again, in my notes, I just have another Dark Ride type tune. This song is heavy. I mean, not like, you know, creator heavy, but this is a really heavy song. And it's kind of a gem that's kind of buried at the end of the album. Some of Uli's best drumming. And and what I love about this track is it kind of showcases everyone's talents. Um, obviously I just mentioned Uli, but between the, the, the heavy guitar riffs and the, and the, and the keyboard solo and the guitar solos, um, and then this abrupt stop, something about this track is really, really catchy. And it's kind of like an underrated gem that's kind of buried at the end of this album. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of almost curious why they didn't put it up a little bit further, but somehow it's, 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 once you get to it, it's certainly a fantastic song. You can hear the riff from escalation six, six, six in this song. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, you know, you clearly Roland um, at least wrote that guitar part. It's very similar in that way. Um, I think this is a better song personally. Um, I love, um, I think, you know, this is one of Nops's favorite songs, I think from this album. And I think the fact that Nops always, um, gravitated towards anything that had kind of a Middle Eastern feel to it. So that beginning probably sucked them right in. Um, but yeah, this was another one that I think, I think it was like when I mentioned a, a week or two ago about like album fatigue, um, you know, they, the beginning of the album was just so strong that it's just kind of like, maybe I just wasn't as tuned in by the time I got towards the end of the album. But this, this song is fantastic. I, this and Crawling from Hell were, I think, um, songs that grew on me uh as as i got older and now it's i couldn't imagine the album without either songs um the the whole song the the chorus the bridge the the everything like the verses the solos um the fact that the keys in the in the background have kind of like this castlevania ish 
feel to them. I mean, um, the song has uh, everything going for it, and um, it's just fantastic. And again, like Yorn being Yorn doing his Yorn thing as, <laughs> as only Yorn can. Um, yeah, another 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 banger. Great the, song. The, the album ends with the first. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke a little bit earlier about uh, Into the Light, but When Love Comes Close, the, the, the closing track is definitely the ballad on the album. And it's kind of interesting that they ended the, the album with a ballad. Um, another Zeppelin acoustic type song. I, I This song, phenomenal lyrics. I mean, we don't talk about them, but this is just a beautiful song and just a wonderful way to end the album. Um, I love this song there's there's a lot of emotion behind this for sure I, I just i can't say enough good things about it and again kind of buried in the back but it's just a beautiful tune yeah the 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 guitar intro is very stairway to heaven um it reminds me a lot of that and then the song goes on its own way um yeah i agree um the lyrics, one of my all-time favorite lyrics is in this song about um, getting thirsty and mad. I think that is such a such a great, <laughs> I got thirsty and mad. I just think um, I spent all my money getting thirsty and mad. I, I just, it's like without beating you over the head with what he's talking about, I, I agree with you. The lyrics are great. Um, uh, really cool kind of um, harmonization in the chorus. Um I feel like th- this might be the most like the most I've been able to describe an album in like musical terms of any album we've talked about so far. It, it just is it's so accessible um to somebody like me who's not a musician. Um it, it, this is really I think a perfect way to kind of cap off this this fantastic just el- 11 awesome songs in a row. Not one song that's even just an above average song, all great or better songs. And this is, uh, they, they cap it off depending on which version of the album you have. There's, um, different bonus tracks and stuff, but the proper album is these first 11 songs. And, uh, I think they just hit home run after home run after home run. It's just, just fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. I'll, I'll talk very briefly about the bonus tracks and, and, and just say they have a very much of a different feel from the rest of the album. They're not as much power metal and they're more kind of bluesy, hard rock, if you will. Uh, Through Thick and Thin is a phenomenal track. I think that's one of the Japanese bonus tracks. Um, that, believe it or not, was a song that I had on repeat for a long, long time when I got my hands on it you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, a really, really solid song, again, in the hard rock vein. The Kid Rocks On was was a little bit different. Uh, not my favorite track by any means, and, and I think pales in comparison to even the other bonus tracks, but not bad, just unremarkable. And they do a cover of, ironically, Zeppelin's Black Dog, which is a, just a really, really good cover. And, and it, it sounds like... They, they certainly wanted to keep true to the original, but kind of put their own little flair on it with, with Yorn's vocals over the top. Um, just one of my favorite covers of all time. And those are your bonus tracks. And the, 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 the album proper probably did not need those bonus tracks, but when you add them in, you know, it's, you're just talking about like musical bliss. I, I always, for whatever reason, considered 
through thick and thin to be part of the album. I didn't, I don't think I realized it was a bonus track till later on. Um, I, I think that's that's my favorite of the three. I think the kid rocks on. I heard I didn't never I didn't hear that one initially. I think because of the whatever version of the album it was on. Um, I heard it years later probably, and I I really felt like it um, didn't really fit with any of the other songs from the album and and Black Dog, which was. Um, I think it was initially a B-side on the Enlighten Me single and probably used as a bonus track on another version. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's a really, really good cover. Um, but um, Through Thick and Thin, I think, is um, it's ballad-y, not really a ballad, but it kind of has... Um, it, it's it's kind of... I feel like it's kind of like a love song. Um, it's a good tune. I feel like I don't think I could listen to this album and not listen to that song too. Um, I could, I can, I can le- give, you know, take her to leave it with the kid rocks on. But one of the things I always found really interesting about this album is that the Japanese version doesn't have, um, doesn't have enlightened me on it. And, and I don't know if it's because they released it as a single beforehand, but um, they leave off enlighten me and then they put through thick and thin on track six and the kid rocks on on track nine. Um, they didn't even like tack them onto the end. Like you'd normally see with, with bonus tracks. And I always thought that was very interesting that they had such a, a different list of songs than, um, you know, what everybody else got. I think I, I had gotten the AFM European version, which probably didn't have, any um bonus tracks on it i don't think um i probably downloaded the bonus tracks at the time um but uh yeah i just always thought it was weird that that a different region would have a totally different set of songs and a different track list at that i I had no idea so that's the first i'm hearing of it i i I must have had the european pressing as well um i I don't believe this album ever officially came out in america i know i know i probably pre-ordered it from somewhere and had it shipped to me but um what an album. And, 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 you know, it's funny. I, I purposely did not select an, a, a track of the week because I kind of wanted our discussion to dictate that because on any given day, all of these tracks could have been the album of the week. But now kind of being pressed for it, I, I'm going to go with Crystal Knight. I just thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal um, track that I I think I got more pleasure out of this time around than I ever have in the past. And I always thought it was a pretty good tune. Uh, it's uh, it's as good a choice as any. I feel like you really can't go wrong with uh, with any of them. I mean, the, the whole album. I, I I don't think I would judge any choice from this album. And I bet you next week you might pick a completely different song if you one hundred percent tasked with. 100% and I'm going to ask you not to make me do that because I don't want to stray too far but I'll, I'll say this and I think this is kind of a nice way to wrap it up we had the pleasure of seeing this band live with Rick Altsy, um at Prod Power a number of years ago and just to put things in perspective they had an hour long set and it was one of my favorite concerts ever that's how much I thought this band was good live they played seven songs from this album during that set. 
if that is not a testament to the strength of this album, and like I said, they were touring um, a completely different album with a completely different singer, and they played seven songs from this album, including Heroes, which just blew my mind. That, I think, is a testament to, to how strong this album is from start to finish. Well, if you're just one of those people who, when you see a band and you're like, you know, hoping that they're going to play the old stuff, I mean, that set, they they must have heard us because um, I, I, me and you were sponsoring the band at the time. So we were in front of the rail uh, with our good buddy, Mike Riley. And uh, I just... I just, I don't think I've ever had so much fun with you at a concert before. I just remember me and you just marking out for 75, whatever it was, 60 minutes, 75 minutes. And uh, also some of the best photos I've ever taken at a show. I think um, Yari actually asked me if he could have uh, one of them, which I was like very happy to oblige um, because I am no professional by any stretch of the imagination but um that was a lot of fun and getting to meet the band afterwards and just it didn't hurt the fact that they were all super nice um axel has has just this grin pasted on his face uli uh not uli roland is just this fun kind of goofy kind of guy um yari super nice um same with rick uh who actually came to the after party and he was he was a blast. Um, just a, a great bunch of bunch of guys that make it even easier to to be a fan of. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I definitely recommend checking out their live uh, DVD, Blu-ray, CD, however medium you get it on, because they it, it's basically the set list that we saw in Atlanta. Um, but I mean, they had a they had an album with the only album they recorded with Rick. Uh, Novum Initium, Initium, they only played two songs from it. And they played all their older stuff that were, for the most part, sung by Yorn Land or in a couple of, uh, or in one case, um, Mike DeMeo, who was their singer uh, very briefly for their third album. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they played Crawling from Hell, Crystal Night, Enlighten Me, Heroes, Kindhearted Light, Spirit Never Die, Soul Burn. I mean, <laughs> it was... Enough said. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I One of my personal favorite sets of many sets I've seen at Prague power, but um, that one was very special to me and probably one of those things. I don't know about you, but felt like something I didn't think I was ever going to get to see. So and, and went by more memorable and went by too quickly. It felt like it was 20 minutes. So yeah. I think I that mean, was it's, just... it's just one of those things where like in my heart, they should have headlined that night, even though like if I, was if there had money on the line, <laughs> it might not be the case. But I mean, if it was just my heart was booking, they would have got they would have played for two hours. Well, what does your heart give this on a scale of one to ten? Uh, nostalgia aside, as you listen to it and you kind of go back into it, I, I have to give it a, a nine point seven five. I, I, it's I don't know that it's it, it reaches that rarefied air for me, but I mean, it, it, it's pretty much as close as as it's going to get. Um, yeah, that that's I feel pretty good about giving it a nine point seven five. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's a nine point five for me. I, I'm not going to give it the Operation Mindcrime ten, uh, but this is probably about as good of a debut album as you will ever hear. Um, it is damn near perfect. 
um, I look back and I kind of was going through like Sonata Artica's Ecliptica and Anger's Angels Cry, not just because we covered it, but some of my favorite um, debut albums. I would put this up there with all of them. It is that solid from start to finish. Fright Night. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that, that's that's not going to be – that is frightening in and of itself. Shout out to Timo Toki if you're listening. Uh, not 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 my favorite, but um, although he did play a concert in California recently, which is kind of ironic you mentioned it. But um, 9.5, one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that – any band i don't i I mean yeah anger's angels cry which i think i gave a 10 when we reviewed it and ecliptica are really good examples um but i mean i feel like this one is is right up there with um just some of the greatest and i think that they they were a victim of their own success because i I feel like they have not been able to replicate the success that they had on this first album it was almost like too much too soon um because i mean not for lack of trying, but like, how do you follow something like this? Well, that's just it. I mean, they've had a lot of good songs since then. And I thought that the newest album with, with Alcy was really, really good. Uh, but this, this, this was, this was it. I mean, th- this was definitely it. So we'll put a bow on it. I have an album picked out for next week. We'll get to that in a second, but just some news items that I think are definitely noteworthy. Uh, Kiss. Going out with a bang, early 2023, they are finishing up their end of the world tour or end of the road tour, if you will. Um, end of the world. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. I was never a Kiss fan, I'll be honest with you, but a buddy of mine dragged me to see this tour when they came to Long Island. They are a really good live band, and I'm sure there's a lot of production, and I'm sure a lot of stuff is kind of sweetened. Um, but just in terms of a live act, I, I saw what the allure was, even though the songwriting is not necessarily my favorite, but, um, Kiss finally hanging up the boots in the, in the, in the face paint. Uh, so I, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that, uh, something else, which is kind of in the same vein, Judas Priest, um, Richie Faulkner, their guitar player had an aortic aneurysm back in late September. He is finally home and well and resting and they had to cut their tour short because he just, you know, had this, this, this hard episode, uh, you know, towards the end of the tour. Uh, it's, it's amazing because as the story, as the story goes, I think he was in the middle of a guitar solo when, when things kind of went awry, um, but kept on chugging through and until the end of the track, from what I understand, I'm happy he's doing well. Uh, that is a band that I have not seen live, but definitely, definitely need to see before it's all said and done. I've seen Halford do his solo thing. I've never seen Priest. Uh, I have comments about both of those items. First of all, I had heard an interview, and I can't remember if it was with Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley. might have been Gene Simmons if I had to guess, but I don't remember. And he talked about how the plan was that Kiss would go on forever, that they would have like other musicians take over the personas of, of the Starman and, and um, the Demon and that Kiss would just be that one band that like just exists eternally, Never died. which I thought was kind of the coolest idea ever. Like, because if there was ever a band that could pull it off, I mean, it, it, because Kiss is like seventy uh, percent histrionics and thirty percent music. I think at least nowadays, um, easily. So I, I really thought that that was 
would have been very cool. And then the money would just go into, you know, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley's great grandkids, you know, trust funds until the end of time. Um, so I guess maybe that's not the plan anymore. Um, the other thing too, uh, regarding um, the Judas Priest news, um, I got the, the uh, NOP sent me the link from the article on Loudwire. And the, I just have to say that this headline is the most metal headline I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Watch Judas Priest Richie Faulkner shred a perfect painkiller solo as his aorta ruptures. <laughs> I mean, if that's not the most metal thing you've ever heard, not to mention the fact that like the the people the 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 doctors that treated him said that most people who have an aortic rupture don't make it to the emergency room alive. So the fact that this guy not only finished his solo, he survived a aortic rupture. And he's and he's convalescing. So you know what? I think I might have to go see Judas Priest next time they go on tour because that guy's the most metal guy ever. The only thing I can say in true Judas Priest fashion, beyond the realms of death. I mean, what <laughs> else can what else can what else can be said? Uh, and, and just one more piece of other news. Well, he's uh, probably on more... painkillers now. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lord of the Lost, uh, a band that's gotten a lot of buzz with their last couple of releases. Um, they had released their album Judas earlier this year, this kind of massive two-disc effort. Uh, they are doing a live stream of a Blu-ray DVD thing, um, The Sacrament of Judas, and, and that is scheduled to be released December 10th. Um, they, are, they have a lot going on, and they're, they're kind of a really interesting band if you've never heard them. I'm curious to see them in a live setting, and I have a feeling they will be stateside sooner rather than later, uh, but this Blu-ray may be a nice... Uh, prequel to, to the live show that we may see one day. The Sacrament of Judas sounds like a tour between Stradivarius and Powerwolf. <laughs> and maybe they'll be with Lord of the Lost. I have no idea. But um, that's the news for the week. And now it brings us to our album of the week. Um, I went back and forth on this for a while, but ultimately I, I'm going back to another Yorn Land album because I just thought it was so fitting with, with our discussion of Master Plan. And this was an album that I had actually wanted to do months ago, and I brought it up to you on the show. But I think you went with something else instead. But it, it is time to do Arcs Burn the Sun. Oh, my God. I knew you were going to pick it. I, I, that's How did you know? Row, I, 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 I guessed you. Um, I just... Just the way that you mentioned it earlier, I just kind of had a had a hunch. Um, well, and, and again, it is you did you did bring it up before. Um, I, I'm glad you chose this because I don't know the album that well, and I, all I know is that it is so highly regarded that um, it'll be uh, it'll be educational for me. So I, I, I'm glad you're going to give it the full listen that it deserves. I, you want to talk about supergroups? This is another supergroup, um, which we'll obviously get into, but, uh, the, just hearing Yorn's vocals on the master plan disc all week, I have to, I, we have to talk about this and I think the time is now. So I, I, we'll get I wanna, to that. I want to say that this was one of the albums that before we started doing the podcast, this was one of those ones where you probably told me to go listen to it and then we probably talked about it. Um, so I think in a way that's kind of fun that that was probably something we've already done pre podcast days. Now we can record it for posterity. Yeah. And it's definitely, uh, it's an album that was definitely kind of a catalyst for the podcast just because I don't know. I, I always felt that this album was, um, special in a lot of ways. And there was kind of a lot of meat on the bone to kind of unpack. 
uh, for, for reasons we'll get into. So it's kind of fitting that as we mark, uh, or as we kind of draw closer to our one year anniversary that we finally cover this album. So it, sh- it should be fun. And then, uh, you know, obviously you'll get your, your, your choice in before the end of the month. And then we'll obviously go into November where we have our album chosen already. Um, but with that, uh, enjoy the week. Enjoy ARC. I certainly will. I look forward to listening to this over and over again. And we'll catch you uh, next week at the Metal Exchange. Or maybe sooner. Or maybe sooner. <laughs> or maybe in Thursday uh, with our special guest, Mr. Roland Grappo, who we, uh, who we already talked to. <laughs> so there you go. Well, spoiler. Uh, spoiler uh, interview um, dropping on Thursday. But uh, yeah, we, enjoy the we, week. We were fanboying pretty hard. I don't think he realized it, but we knew it. We knew we were. Um, <laughs> we, we definitely did. So enjoy that later in the week, and then we'll go back to some more Yornland, Yornland next week. Take it easy, bud. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.